Mm-hmm. So good to see everyone this morning. A lot of guests in the room. So introduce myself as well. I'm Tim, one of the pastor elders here also, and we are thrilled that you are with us. Please, uh, if you could, fill out a little guest card for us. It gives us a chance to send you a letter, not to pester you, but we do want to send you a letter and thank you for being here. And that goes for you who are watching on the live stream also. Please, you can go to our website and fill out the guest card there also. And thanks for live streaming with us. And so here we go. We are starting, kicking off a series on Dignity Restored. Title this morning of our sermon is Changing the Price Tags. And so what's going to happen is we're going to have a bit of an extended introduction this morning to the sermon, to the text, because we're also kind of introducing the next six weeks. And so um, please hang with me in this introduction. Um, 2020, did you notice, was a year that shouted, pleaded, and at times demanded that human dignity would come. And yet, it remained elusive and unattainable. But... The oppression and the exploitation of people was not a new thing, not a 2020 thing. It is a historical issue. The Holocaust, the enslavement of Africans, the internment of Japanese Americans, racial tensions have existed in all places throughout all time since the fall. The destruction of human dignity is as old as Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve fell, turn the page to Genesis 4, and you have the story of Cain and Abel. Well, Cain will slay his brother Abel, and by the time you get to the end of the chapter, uh, we've gone from Cain and Abel to Lamech, and Lamech will brag to his two wives Quote, he says, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. So over the next six weeks, we want to ask, what makes a person a person? Where does human dignity, value, and worth come from? What difference does it make in the life of a follower of Christ? Whether a person is still living in the womb, yet to be born, or elderly and days away from death, what gives a person value? Whether a person is severely handicapped or a world-class elite athlete, whether a person is of one color or another, rich or poor, value does not come via our accomplishments, our bank accounts, the color of our skin, our GPA, or our 401k. Richard Stearns writes, wealth is, primary, is a primary measure of worth in the West, but there are others. Celebrity status, physical beauty, political power, athletic accomplishments, citizenship, social media influence. We live in a world that places price tags on people. Wealthy, successful, powerful people are highly valued. Poor, homeless, powerless people are not. And the values of this world creeps into the church, creeps into the life of believers, That's why James, who's writing to believers, he's not writing to the secular culture, he's not writing to the world, he's writing to the church when he says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And then he goes on to explain, if a rich man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, or a poor man, Right? And you show the, the rich man, here's, here's the best of seats. And the poor man, you stand over there, sit at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves? Right? And so there's a reason why James says that to the church then and now. Because we tend to show partiality as we hold the faith. Now this little letter, Philemon, shows us how the gospel is to function 
in our everyday lives. We tend to read the Bible through our American lenses. This is important to note from the outset because Philemon, if you don't know this already, he was a slave. And sometimes people want to make the message of Philemon to be about American slavery. And we press that into the text. We tend to think of the American experience of slavery and and impose that onto the text. But the culture of Philemon is very different than the culture of America. In Roman culture, slavery was not based on one's race. Slaves worked in private homes or they worked for the government. Slaves were often freed by their owners or they could be purchased by someone else or perhaps they could even purchase their own freedom. Many slaves were mistreated, many were not. It is estimated that between 30 and 40% of the population was in slavery. If you were a part of the working population, then it was likely you were a bondservant, a slave. You had been purchased to do a job. There were so many of them And they were all blended into the general population so much so that PBS.org records this. Slaves looked looked so similar to Roman citizens that the Senate once considered a plan to make them wear special clothing so that they could be identified at a glance. The idea was rejected because the Senate feared that if slaves, slaves saw how many of them were working in Rome, they might be tempted to join forces and rebel. On December 13th, 1865, in America, the 13th Amendment was adopted and slavery was officially abolished. But the exploitation or the oppression of the black person didn't simply disappear with an amendment. We might think, why haven't we learned? Why haven't we grown past the exploitation and the oppression of people. Why do we need James to tell us, show no partiality as you hold the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory? Why does Jesus have to tell us about a good Samaritan? Or that we are to love our neighbor? Or how we're to treat our enemy? The answer is because we live in a fallen world. And because we do, human exploitation is not going to go away in 2021. This church is why we mission. The Bible holds the answers to the human dignity problem that we face in our day. The Bible offers not only the understanding what's going on, but it also offers us a something, it's more than something that we just know mentally, but something that we can do about the problem. The point of the little letter here, Philemon, is dignity restored because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul makes his appeal. He's appealing to Philemon, who's, who's the landowner and the slave owner, to forgive his former slave Onesimus. And that's what the follower of Christ does. Forgiven people, forgive. Forgiven people reach down because Christ reached down to us. Forgiven people work to rescue because Christ rescued us. Forgiven people live to restore dignity because in Christ, the price tags have been changed. You are created in the image of God. You are redeemed by Christ. The restored then restore. The world tries in vain to answer the human dignity problem. It can only say, love more, love more, love more. Be accepting, be all-inclusive. The louder that's said, the louder that's proclaimed, the more evasive human dignity is. Hear me. If one's worldview is that we evolved that we've evolved from pond scum, that we have no creator and we have no eternal destiny, then human 
dignity will always be exploited. If one's view is that we don't have a creator and we don't have an eternal destiny, hear me, racism makes sense under that worldview. Abortion makes sense under that worldview. But if we are created in the image of God, it's another story. Let's pause and pray and dive into our text. God, I pray that you would help us to grow in 2021 in how we not only think about human dignity, but how we live. Because you, Lord, have changed the price tags. Help us in practical ways to live in 2021 in such a way that builds human dignity. Help us to mission into a world to restore because we've been restored, to forgive because we've been forgiven. Lord, I pray that you would help us this year. I pray that you would help us through this series. Please help us this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Philemon, don't let it fool you. It's a small book, but it's not an insignificant book. We tend to think like that. Oh, it's a small book, meaning it's insignificant. It's not insignificant. It's rarely preached. Don't let that fool you. It's hardly ever quoted. Very rarely studied. Doesn't mean that it's not needed. It's part of Holy Scripture. We need it. It is significant. So point number one, the grace and peace of God in three people. He begins the letter, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon. And I love how the grace of God shows up in three very different people. One man needs forgiveness. One man can offer forgiveness. And one man is encouraging, appealing for forgiveness. The one man was a redeemed, proud Pharisee, Paul. The other man was a redeemed, wealthy landowner. That's Philemon. And one man was a redeemed poor slave. That's Onesimus. Let's pick each of these apart briefly. Paul, first of all, was a once proud Pharisee. And in this little letter, Paul writes to Philemon and he's strongly appealing to his friend Philemon to live a gospel life of forgiveness. Notice how Paul introduces the letter. He says, Paul, a prisoner, For Christ. Now, right off the bat, if you know any of Paul's letters, you'll notate that's a different introduction. How does Paul typically start his letters? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, right? So we want to ask the question, why? Why the shift? Why is he going in a different direction here? And the reason is, is that Paul is going to appeal to his friendship with Philemon as opposed to his authority as an apostle. It's very different than perhaps, say, 1 Corinthians, where he's making a case. I'm an apostle. I'm an apostle. I'm an apostle, right? There's an authority. There's a hierarchy here. Well, that's different here in Philemon. You'll notice as you read through this short little letter, you'll notice he's appealing to a friendship. So he doesn't write out of hierarchy. He writes out of relationship. He doesn't write out of authority. He writes out of his friendship. Philemon is a friend. And so the letter is personal and it's relational. It's not professional or formal. Hear it again. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. This little letter is 25 verses long. And in those 25 verses, he'll mention 12 people by name relationship. But not only is it relationship, it's Paul, a prisoner 
for Christ Jesus. And there's irony in that, isn't there? A man who lacks freedom will be appealing for another man's freedom. A man who lacks freedom will ask his friend to free another friend. A man of God who is without privilege, Paul locked in prison, will appeal to a man of God who has privilege, Philemon, landowner, to offer privilege to a man of God who has no privilege, Onesimus. Paul's appeal, again, isn't based on his authority as apostle. It's based on his love as a friend. He's my beloved fellow worker. But also notice that he doesn't say that he's a prisoner for or of Rome. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Certainly he is a prisoner of Rome. But Paul always puts himself under the bigger umbrella. I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Or you could, he could say, Paul, a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. He refers to himself as a prisoner of Christ. I am a prisoner for the sake of Christ. Free the slave by offering forgiveness, by being a slave of Christ. Listen, you may be new to Christianity. You may not be a Christian. You might be trying to explore Christianity. You may be a believer for a long time. Christianity is about dying to oneself. So Paul speaks in positive ways to say, I am a bondservant of Christ. I am a slave of Christ. Or it's what we so flippantly say, Jesus is my Lord. He's my master. So free the slave by offering forgiveness by being a slave of Christ. Live for Christ. Die to yourself, Philemon. Live for Christ. Well, there's this guy, Onesimus, and we'll hear more about him next week and the week after. He doesn't show up in our text today, but just to give you a couple handles. He's a poor slave, we're not told exactly what he's done against his master. Um, some people speculate that he's stolen from Philemon and he fled. We don't know. We don't know exactly what it is. Um, we're not told what it is. All that we know is that he was a slave who's in need of forgiveness for whatever he's done. And then there's Philemon. Philemon's a wealthy homeowner in Colossae. And from the tone of Paul's letter, the tone is strong appeal. And there's probably this sense of strong appeal because the offense against Philemon is probably no small thing, right? It's probably quite a big thing, whatever it is, it's a big thing to have Paul appealing so strongly. Most of it is addressed to Philemon. Most of the letter carries the word you and it's singular, but in three or four places, it's you and it's plural. And the you is you, it's the church. So you'll see at the end of verse two, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. This letter is, was to be read to the church that's in his house, but it's to be read today in the church. So let's imagine from Philemon's perspective, he receives a letter from a dear friend who's in prison. Ah, it's a letter from Paul, a fellow worker, a friend. He probably reads the letter with excitement. What will the letter say? And it begins with wonderful things. Beloved, fellow worker, greet so-and-so, greet so-and-so. The church in your house, verse three, grace to you and peace from God. And that's just not a token little introduction. There's, there's, some, there's some meat behind that. 
grace and peace because this is where this letter is headed. Let's introduce the theme of grace to you and peace. By the way, from God, Philemon, you have grace and peace from the Lord. Because of grace and peace, Paul will appeal to Philemon for grace and peace, to offer grace and peace. And so this year, I wanna ask myself, I wanna encourage us to ask ourselves, am I a person of grace and peace? When I am, why am I? Because just because I might be, I might not have a godly motive for that grace and peace. When I'm not, why aren't I? What drives grace and peace in our lives? We offer grace and peace because grace and peace has been given to us from God himself. We often don't offer grace and peace though. We don't offer grace and peace. It's because we believe we've been wronged. Now, here's the thing. This is so important. You might be right. You were wronged. You're in the right. Let's just even pretend you're in the right. You are without sin in this latest argument with your husband or your wife or your children. You are right and you were wronged, right? That's how we think. It misses the entire point of the letter. Philemon was wronged. Paul isn't coming in to say, Paul's coming in to say, even when wronged, Philemon, my appeal to you is for grace and peace. We think, I didn't deserve this. I didn't create this mess. Philemon, bring forgiveness to Onesimus. Wealthy landowner, poor slave, offer forgiveness because grace and peace has been brought to you from God. Offer grace and peace. That's our three individuals. Let's jump to grace and peace of God drives gratitude, prayer, and joy. First of all, gratitude, verse four, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. That's just a regular um, thing for Paul. When he thinks of a friend, he, re- he thinks of that person thankfully. How do you think of your beloved fellow workers? I love that when Philemon comes to Paul's mind, he's immediately, ah, oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Now, he's aware of some issues, right, in Philemon. He's aware that... Ah, again, the tone is going to be, I'm appealing to you by our friendship. I'm appealing that you offer this forgiveness. Um, But that's not what immediately jumps to his mind. When he thinks of Philemon, it's thank you, God, for my friend Philemon. And that's what grace and peace does in the life of a believer. So there's gratitude, but there's also gratitude with prayer. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray. It's not just thinking grateful thoughts, but I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Paul remembers him and then prays for him. Philemon comes to mind. Thank you, God, for Philemon. Let me pray for for my friend. Let me take him to God. 
Paul seems to be a bit unsure as to what Philemon's response to this letter is going to be. Will he forgive Onesimus? It could have drove Paul, instead of to prayer, it could have drove him to anxiousness. Have you ever written to a friend not certain of what the response might be? Have you ever picked up the phone? Not sure. How's this going to go? Sat down over coffee? Okay. Rather than anxiousness and fear, instead, Paul is driven to prayer. Alistair Begg tells tells of T.S. Mooney. Probably a name you haven't heard, but T.S. Mooney was a discipler of boys. And when the boys grew up and became men, he still called them his boys and his rogues. So that's the picture when Alistair Begg shares, he quote says, he wanted every boy, T.S. Mooney, he wanted every boy that came to class to have a Bible in his hand, a savior in his heart and a purpose in his life. Some were by this time successful surgeons, his boys. It had been one of his boys who had performed open heart surgery on T.S. Mooney some years before. Others were school teachers, others in banking and commerce, a significant number in pastoral ministry, and all of them regularly in his prayers. One morning, 1986, Mooney's housekeeper found him dead on his bed. What was he doing just before he died? Quote, he was fully dressed and had obviously begun his day as usual because when others were called to help and they moved his body, they discovered that he had fallen on top of his prayer list. He had gone to heaven praying for his rogues. What was T.S. Mooney doing? He was remembering. Now I'm sure among his boys, among his rogues, there were different ones of them, right? They're tough. They're rogues. He remembers them. He prays for them. I'm sure he could have given his thoughts to less useful ways. Imagine the church. Imagine with me the church that remembers like this. I remember you. I'm thankful for you. And I pray for you. Imagine the church that rather than speaking to others about a person in gossip or in slander, spoke to God in prayer. Imagine the church rather than growing in bitterness, speaking to one's own crazy mind, spoke to the Lord. In verse five, it shows us why he prays. In verse six, it shows us what he praised. Praise. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. The sharing of your faith. Now what immediately comes to your mind when you hear the sharing of your faith? Evangelism, right? Wrong. It's not about evangelism here. So this is important that we know what what is Paul after? What is he getting after here? This is not the sharing of your faith. Though nothing wrong with you praying for your Philemon friend, God bless him in the sharing of his faith, evangelism. It's just not what Paul's doing here. And we wanna get after what is Paul doing here? The word sharing there in the original language is the word koinonia. You're familiar with that word, many of you. You've heard it. It's the fellowship. It's the sharing of one's faith. It's the fellowship that we have in the faith. It's the relationship that's being displayed in this little letter. It's, I pray that your fellowship of the faith, the sharing of the faith with other believers, not unbelievers, but with other believers would be effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Again, it's not a bad thing to pray for the sharing of the faith, evangelism, but that's not what Paul's doing here. He's praying for the koinonia, the partnership, the fellowship of faith that we have in the Lord. The fellowship that exists because you have faith. 
Paul is saying that for the believer, there is this faith and it's to be shared. Or faith that is to be relational faith, partnered in faith. So we announced a little bit ago, thank you Richard for announcing, we have community groups. And we just wanna encourage everyone towards community groups. Why? Well, it's where, it's where we want to share faith. We want to partner together. We want to live together, community together, koinonia together, a shared faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's possible, it's probable that if we just attend a Sunday morning service, we might share a little conversation We might get to know somebody new, but we're not sharing faith like what Paul is after here. As a matter of fact, like if you just attend a church on a Sunday, you're not gonna have the opportunity to do what Paul is calling on Philemon to do, which is what? Forgive. So we wanna invite you to community groups where you will have the opportunity to be offended and sinned against that you'll get close enough with brothers and sisters in the Lord for things to go wrong that you can then do the gospel, live out the gospel. I'm offering grace and peace to you because I have been given grace and peace from God. Wow. You see, community groups at Trinity isn't just a trendy little kind of thing. As a matter of fact, I tell my group probably too much Um, It's not a meeting. Now, it's not less than a meeting. We do have a meeting. But we want to do more than a meeting. We want to build a life together. We want to have shared faith. That's what Paul's praying for. We're also a part of Grace Partnership. If you're new to Trinity, Grace Partnership is a very small network of churches. It's a partnership. It's a shared faith. It's so that we can um, mission and equip and care for other churches so that, so that we're not so like these four walls that we can get outside of ourselves. There's a lot of mission that goes on beyond us. Please pray for Richard and I. We'll be at the end of this month going to Barranquilla, Colombia. Uh, Lord willing, Lord willing, they let us on the airplane still come, <laughs> come the end of this month. <laughs> But that is the plan. So please be in prayer for us. We will also be going with Aaron Osborne and Jerry Caesar. And um, we are going for the purpose. If you remember a year ago, Juan was here from Barranquilla. Juan's got a lot of relationships that um, they are desiring to get to know what is Grace Partnership all about. So we're going to go. We're going to share that with them because there's a desire Um, We want to share the faith. We don't want to just be a church in Colombia on an island by ourselves, insulated. With that, there's a conference. Now I can say next month in February, end of February. Grace Partnership holds a conference every year. It'll be in Orlando. I want to invite you. I want to encourage you. I want to appeal to you. Please go, go put aside the money, put aside a day of vacation and go, bring the kids, we'll have childcare. Why? Well, the title really gets after it, community, the gospel on display. It's this idea, it's this shared faith. But we wanna build a relational, a shared faith, faith at Trinity. You say, but I've been hurt by people. Well, welcome to the church (laughs) who hasn't been hurt by people. In no sort of way would I be saying, all right, here's some opportunities in 2021 for you to get involved. And while you get involved, um, these are opportunities for you to not be hurt by people. No, these are opportunities for you to be hurt by people. And then... Do the gospel. Offer grace and peace because you have grace and peace from God.
That's what's going on here in this little letter. I don't want to be hurt by people. I'm going to pass on the whole community group thing. That's the whole point of the letter. Engage in a shared faith. That's going to blow up. You're going to have opportunity to forgive somebody or to ask for forgiveness. And all of that is driven by the cross of Jesus Christ. Remember our three people, one's a former Pharisee, one's a wealthy landowner, and one's a lowly slave. And what Paul will be appealing to in this letter is for, in that culture, the culturally, the culturally high and mighty, I'm appealing to you to forgive, culturally speaking, the lowly, Onesimus. And so the key to the whole letter is verse six. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Share that faith, Philemon, because grace and peace has come to you from God. Because as believers, we are equal believers in Jesus Christ. We are equal sinners saved by equal grace with equal peace from God, Philemon. Equal forgiveness has been brought to you from God. Equal footing at the cross where Christ's blood was shed is effective for both you, Philemon, and Onesimus, and myself, Paul, and you, church. Paul's request is radical. It's crazy in the day, in the culture. Listen, not only does he want Philemon to forgive Onesimus, but he wants Philemon to Bring him in as if he's family. He'll, he'll say to him, treat him like you would treat me. And by the way, I hope I'm coming. Make a bed for me. <laughs> Free this man of the burden of whatever he's done against you and treat him like you would treat me. Treat him like family. Mm, sounds a lot like the gospel where Christ will forgive us and we will be brought into the family. You are co-heirs with Christ. You make your appeals to Abba, Father. This is the grace and peace in the life of a believer. Well, Roman culture would have never heard of any such thing. There'll be no forgiveness for Onesimus. There will absolutely never be bring him into your family. Throw him in prison, fine with that. Beat him, we're okay with that as well. Forgive him, bring him into your home, no. That's the radical nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ right there. You are created in the image of God and redeemed by Jesus. Jesus changes the price tags. So how do we grow in our conviction of human dignity? God created the person that's in front of you in the image of God. Humanity then fell. Christ came and redeemed us. He purchased us from the slavery of sin and death. And he has set us free. We are followers of Christ. Christ whose daily interactions with sinners when he walked on this earth was his death warrant. Jesus broke into the culture where dignity was found in who you are, who you knew, how much wealth you had, the privilege, and he busted up all the stereotyping and he changed the price tags. He didn't call his disciples from the seminary 
of the Pharisees. He called them from smelly fishing boats. He called them from the cheating of the tax collecting. He called them from the craziness of the zealot. And it drove most of the religious people of his day absolutely crazy. Daniel Darling writes, again and again, Jesus loved the unlovable, touched the untouchable, valued the undervalued, and welcomed the unwanted. He changed the price tags. He crossed out the paltry prices that had been assigned to these people and he placed, and replaced them with one word, priceless. He saw people as not just worthy of some simple kindness, but so precious that he would pay the ultimate price for each one of them. He engaged with dirty people because people are created in the image of God. And then he saved you and me and now Christ calls the believer to be a light in a dark world. He calls us to reach into this broken, dark, hurting world with the message of Jesus Christ. So I ask us, who are the lepers? Who are the dirty in your life? Who are the untouchables? Who do you dismiss, avoid, ignore, or verbally belittle, or just in your mind belittle? Who is the Onesimus in your life that, is God, that God is calling you not to just forgive, but to partner, share faith with. I love to tell about my Netherlands friends. You've heard me share it before, but some of you are new. It's in Alphenenden Rhine, where New Life Fellowship Church been privileged to go to a couple times in their basement. Uh, about five years ago, built showers in the basement. The reason they built showers is because uh, refugees were being placed in their local towns, small town. And they are being dropped off and they, they were provided rough, rough housing. They didn't have means for showers. And so the church said, we're building showers. Because these people are made in the image of God. Dignity restored. I love this, tell that story because these are Middle Eastern, many of them men, some professing Muslim refugees. And that just makes us quite a bit uncomfortable, doesn't it? It's uncomfortable for many of us to hear about that kind of gospel risk-taking and gospel love. Huh, I don't want to bring Muslims into my church. It sounds risky. I ask us, since when did gospel living get defined as a life of comfort, a life without risk? What about the homosexual? What about the lesbian? What about the neighbor who just drives you nuts? What about the person on the other side of the political aisle as you? What are we called to as believers? Again, Daniel Darling writes, more and more it's common to devalue people on ideological grounds. If you're a conservative, you reject liberals. If you're in favor of gun control, you vilify gun owners. When we look at other human beings through the distorting lenses of culture, politics, patriotism, and fear, we fail to see them as God does made in his own image and of priceless value. The people Jesus reached out to in his day. Wow. 
stay away from them. Onesimus has wronged Philemon and is in need of forgiveness. You and I were in need of forgiveness and we hadn't wronged another image bearer. We wronged the creator himself. Christ offers forgiveness to the slave. Slave to sin and death. Christ came to redeem, to purchase our freedom. And this is why we need this little but not insignificant letter in 2021. We're not saved to then live like the world. We were saved and called out of the world to then live like our Savior in radical gospel forgiveness. Because the gospel changes the price tags that we place on people. 2020, it's the year where secondary things became primary things. Lots of new hills were created for us to die on. Did you notice? Trinity, die on the hill of the gospel. Die on the hill of shared faith. Die on the hill of God's word is our authority in our lives. What's ultimately wrong with the world cannot be fixed by human hands. It requires a bigger savior. Christ came. He is that bigger savior. We are called to go into the world and preach the good news. So let me ask us, does your life offer something different than what the world offers. Different than the anger, different than the disgust, different than the spiteful, angry speech or the spiteful, angry social media post. Does my life, does your life offer anything different than the bitterness that we see in the world? What does a life in Christ offer to the world in 2021, is it anything different than what they find in the world? Well, he closes, we close with joy. For I have derived, verse seven, much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Much joy, it's not just joy, it's much joy he gains from Philemon, and he says, because of the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. And I just love that. Love to think. Pastorally, I was thinking this week about this. Just going, yeah, I get that. I get what he's saying there. Like I am full of joy when I engage with the church who's refreshing the church. It's a beautiful thing. And so to all those who are refreshers, thank God for you. With much joy, thank God for you. It's what Philemon is known for, but hear this. He's known for refreshing, but it's a setup. I don't mean he's trying to set this man up, but, but hear me. You're known for refreshing, but I'm going to bring you an opportunity to refresh someone. That's really gonna test your gift of refreshing. And that's what's coming in the coming weeks. Would you please, if you don't have the elements, we have elements in the back here. You can get up and grab or right there on the other side of those doors, we are gonna receive communion. And it's right for us to receive communion in light of this message. Have you ever not taken communion? Like it was there, you could take it, it was in front of you, but you passed it by. I have. I want to encourage you to. Not just so you would not take it, but you're doing business with your heart because I'm not reconciled with a brother or sister. And the appeal 
for communion is make things right. It's not that you would just, okay, I'm not going to take communion because we're not reconciled. It's go get reconciled so that you can then take communion. I do think there ought to be times when we're recognizing we're not reconciled with a brother or a sister and we refrain. And that shows regard for scripture and for communion. But again, it's not just to pass it by, it's to do business and then to partake. I tell you what, rather than reading, I think you're aware, good portion of 1 Corinthians 11, can we just pause and let's evaluate our hearts before we just dive right in to taking communion? Please, you just quietly where you're at, evaluate your hearts and then we'll move forward. would please hold the elements this right here represents the body of Christ broken on our behalf for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me when we take of communion, when we don't take of communion, we're showing regard to scripture. We like to say, you know, for the sake of the kids, for the sake of the parents who have kids, this is not snack time. This is communion. Christ purchased your forgiveness because of his body, because of his blood poured out for us. Let's take the bread together. This cup represents his blood. Why do we pursue? Why do we ever say, please forgive me? Why do we ever say, I forgive you? It's because of the gospel. It's because of his blood poured out on our behalf. So praise be to him. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the cup together. Would you stand with me? God, we thank you. We praise you. We lift our voices to you. Amen. Amen.